This is The Nature of Invisible Things with your host, Erin Kelly. Stories and conversations exploring the magic, mysticism, and creativity of the road less traveled. Hello and welcome to The Nature of Invisible Things, the podcast. I'm your host, Erin Kelly, and I'm so glad you're here. This is season one, episode three, and today I am joined by the incredible Jonathan Coe. And it is no secret that um, I'm a big fan of Jonathan. I really connected with them back in 2021 and you know, just felt such a kinship. And Jonathan is one of those folks that I feel like I can talk to forever and ever. And we are both mutable risings. And um, you'll get to experience some of that in this conversation that we have. But it's so rich. And you'll notice like it's an extra juicy episode because it's a little bit longer than some of the others. And I originally thought about putting it into two episodes with a little bit longer introduction from myself to each. But you know what? I am just going to keep it just as it is because when I listened back to it and I went to go like split it up, like I just couldn't do it. (laughs) I just couldn't do it. And I, what I love about this episode is you get to hear and experience some of Jonathan's magic, some of Jonathan's process in the way that they approach the world and look at the world and the entities and beings within it. And I think that's really magical. The other thing that I really love about this episode is there are so many opportunities to view the everyday, the mundane as mystical And as you've likely heard me say many times, at least if not on the podcast yet, you've heard, you've read it in my Substack. if you subscribe, just the fact that there is no separation between this world and the other world. It's just an illusion. And I think the more that we can hold that perception, the more interesting things get for sure, you know? And so I am, I'm thrilled to introduce Jonathan to you. Jonathan Coe is a queer mystic artist and diviner. They're joyfully devoted to exploring body-rooted energy practices, mystery systems, and poetic inquiries as living portals into remembering our cosmic kinship. And I've got all of Jonathan's details um, in the show notes, but also, be, to, be sure to follow Jonathan's weekly astrological contemplations and conversations with friends on their podcast, Healing the Spirit. It's a phenomenal podcast. Definitely subscribe. I, uh, and I'm i not just saying that because I've been a guest on the podcast, but I absolutely adore um, the subject matter and the guests and Jonathan's approach and it's one of my favorite things when I when I have some driving to do. I, I love to um, put on Spotify and just let it play. <laughs> so without further ado, I give you my conversation with Jonathan Coe. Enjoy. 
Welcome, Jonathan, to the Nature of Invisible Things podcast. I am so glad you're here. Thank you, Erin. This is such a gift. I love you and I love being in your presence. And this podcast just truly feels like a gift. So I'm so honored that you asked me to be here and can't wait to talk with you. I am thrilled that you said yes. I am so excited to have you on. And Mm -hmm. I met Jonathan through the Magician's Table 2021. You were the 13th reader in my Mm -hmm. cohort. And I just remember being so relaxed and open in your presence and I felt like Jonathan and I still feel this way that you really see with a vision that is not the vision of like just the eyes it's the vision of the heart Mm. it's the being able to take in everything about a person and holding it with such acceptance and gentleness Mm. that allows folks to continue to bloom Mm. in your presence. So it's almost like there's this really relaxing way and manner about you as I experience you in these types of containers. I know you are a multifaceted human being with multiple sides. I'm sure I'm petty in other parts (laughs) of my life. (laughs) But I've experienced you in your healing magic in your modality and receiving a reading from you that that one I received in the magician's table 2021 that recording provided so much nourishment and sustenance to me for months afterward Mm -hmm. and I also got to experience you as a teacher in two other containers so deep spirit medicine in 2022 and then Eyes on the Edge of Mars Devotional Praxis, uh, most recently, and that started in October 2023, which I almost didn't do. I was like, I I do not have the capacity for this. I know the richness at which you share your material and that it comes from this devoted place. And I I really, it's like pulling up to a banquet and you just want to, and not, not a banquet that's like, you know country buffet like a real banquet like if you think of the 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 castle that has the banquet uh hall for the guests where the tables are just laden with the most sumptuous foods and drinks and there's candlelight and warmth and that's how that's how it feels and I was like oh I don't know that I have the ability to like receive all of that right now but then Mars came to visit me And I was like, no, I absolutely have to make time for this container. And I have to say that experience, I think, was necessary and needed for me. And I know it was for for other people in that container as well, just to be able to move through different experiences and faces of Mars, for lack of a better word to describe it. It was really powerful, as one would expect. I came in with the idea that this is going to be really spiky and I'm just going to walk around like one big (laughs) trigger, one big reaction, one big hot cognition. And it, and it wasn't, it wasn't what I was expecting at all. It was really 
beautiful. And there were those moments, the moments where I found myself challenged were not the moments that I thought I would be in the way that I thought I'd be. And so I just want to thank you. Like you're, Mm -hmm. you're such a gift and I look forward to continuing to follow your work Mm -hmm. um, as well. So Mm -hmm. thank you. Thank you for being you. Thank you for that kind introduction. (laughs) I really appreciate it. Mm -hmm. You're so welcome. And I would love for you to describe yourself presently Mm -hmm. in this Mm -hmm. moment and share your big three, if you'd like. Yeah. First of all, I want to say that I always have seen you as a colleague. I've always seen you as a peer, Um, you know, and, and I am one of those people, you know, how mercurial I am. I love learning from colleagues. I love teaching colleagues. I feel like that um, place of kind of mixing, you know, roles and and allowing each other to kind of be in this um, transfer, like constant transfer of like knowledge and holding space for one another is is my go-to place. And I think that's where I actually feel safe in doing this work and in receiving this work. And um, I've just always appreciated your presence. I feel such deep kinship with you. And I feel um, the beautiful place where you're coming from with your work. So thank you for that. Thank you for seeing me. Thank you for that um, wild introduction. Mm -hmm. I felt very in touch through your introduction with my own divinity in Mm. some ways, right? Which we all are connected to. And also, I'm very human. You know, there are, you can talk to my partner. He will tell <laughs> you how human I am. Um, so I think that's where I would start, actually. I think that if I have to really answer your question more directly about who, who I am in this moment, I'm a person walking my path. Mm-hmm. That's the only identifying or maybe identity that can feel resonant for me at this moment. Um, I play many different roles. Um, Sometimes in my work in this mystical realm, I am a channel. Sometimes I am a writer. Sometimes I am a teacher. Um, a reader, a coach, a consultant, um, a a trickster. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I would have to put that in there too. Um, But I think at the core of it all, I'm really someone who's just always kind of watching how my path is unfolding. You know, there is something I keep being drawn to is this question of what am I devoted to? You know, if I'm on a path of devotion, who am I devoted to? Or what am I devoted to? And this is an ongoing process for me. This is an ongoing search. Um, recently, the phrasing that has felt really resonant is the great mystery. And it's pretty cute because in in a past life, I was um, 
I was very active in church choirs. And I remember when I first joined my, my the first youth choir I joined, I was so um, enamored by the energy of this particular youth choir. And I remember actually this, the first piece that I performed with them was um, this Latin piece. I'm actually forgetting the name of the composer. I think it may have been Palestrina. And it's called O Manu Mysterium, which basically is the great mystery. And if you look up the lyrics to this particular Christmas carol, it's about this astonishment, this feeling of astonishment, this um, incredible phenomenon of um, in, in the Christian mythology, right? Jesus Christ, uh, Rabbi Yeshua, being born in a manger and witnessed by animals, right? And specifically these kind of lowly animals. Mm -hmm. And so to me, there's something here because while I no longer associate or identify necessarily as a Christian, there was something about that particular sentiment that really spoke to me. And I think has been with me. It's this idea of, I am just a human, you know, I am just a mammal and I get to also have access and have these experiences that I feel like I shouldn't be having, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and um, how to me that experience is both special and mystical and magical and also very much part of nature. You know, I love the name of your project, the nature of invisible things, because it is nature, right? Like we're not separate from it. So I think that's where, that's how I would answer that question today. And my big three are, I'm a Virgo rising, I'm a Pisces sun, and I am a Gemini moon. So very mutable in my mm-hmm. big three. And um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, that's so rich. I love what you shared about the manger scene. And I think too, like I'm, I'm kind of coming around, not, I don't define myself as a Christian anymore either, but I'm starting Mm -hmm. to realize like there's some healing going on Mm -hmm. with my past around my experience Mm -hmm. there. And I want to say like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of wisdom in the Bible turns out (laughs) like it might, (laughs) there is. And so I, and so I appreciate you like highlighting that in that scene. And yeah, it's the story. There's a story behind the story. Mm. Right. And so Mm -hmm. like, that's just such a beautiful example of we are part of nature. We are somehow we've established ourselves at the top (laughs) in Mm. some way, Mm. but it's, it's, it's false. Yeah. I would say we have been living the delusion that we are at the top right right when actually we're we're part of the mycelial network of mm-hmm. of nature right and we are nature so and and that also includes our quote-unquote psychic or mystical or magical abilities and to me where i'm currently at on my path is 
how do I bring this to all areas of my life? Literally next to this computer that I'm speaking to you through, Aaron, is my other computer, which is my work computer. As you know, I have a day job. You mm-hmm. know, how do I bring, how do I bring um, that sense of wonder, that sense of innocence, that sense of devotion into pursuits that are um, not outwardly mystical? Mm-hmm. Right. I remember a few years ago, I had a reading with the incredible writer and thinker Sophie Strand when she was still doing a tarot reading. And something that came up there, I think I brought up this question of, um, I really, I can't stand my job anymore. You know, I want to quit my job and I want to do this full time. You know, as a reader, this being a reader, being a mystical person. And then one thing that Sophie said to me was that, mystics have always been in the company of um, secret agents actually right we are secret agents who are constantly cracking the code of reality in some ways right Um, and that door towards wonder and um, mystery is everywhere yeah you know it's at your day job it's at it's it's within your um childhood friendships it's within the people you met you meet on the internet right you and i met through this weird like mm-hmm. what even is this you know like right. format right and so i i think there's such um beauty in in honoring and allowing everything to be part of one's mystic's path yeah mm-hmm. I love that you said that because I am moving through something similar right now. Um, just in terms of like the acceptance of once I moved into full-time mm. mysticism as a, as a work, I, I wanted to reject immediately everything from before, like from my yeah. corporate life, I wanted to throw it out and put it out right. on the curb because, and then I realizing like, no, that was magical and mystical too in its mm. own way and there's a lot of the the gifts that i experienced through that that will serve me well like on this path too and i would love um to talk a little bit more about how did you discover your modality or how did you explore this part that is so often not recognized by mainstream culture and sometimes put, you know, put to the side or, you know, just not cultivated. And I realize that's a very like Western United States capitalist type of approach. I know there are other, you know, cultures out there that likely do still value this Mm -hmm. different way of knowing and being, but Mm -hmm. I would love to hear about either your discovery of, or your evolution into uh, your modality. Mm-hmm. That's a huge question, Erin, because mm-hmm. I don't even have just one modality. Right. Like these days, I really um, bring all of my tools into sessions with people. And not all of the tools will be spoken or discussed explicitly, right? But it doesn't mean that that lens, that awareness, that perspective that I gained, right? That I 
cultivated access to isn't present when I'm talking to another person, right. you know? Um, so that question is so fascinating, but I will, I will say that maybe um, let's see where this takes us. The first thing that came to my mind was actually my grandma and my relationship with my grandma, because mm. um, being a child was very hard for me. I think that now as I am becoming older, <laughs> if not wiser, definitely older, I, I see how part of my path is this trajectory from being a leader in or being a follower into a leader. Mm -hmm. Like there is something that I've always felt into and, and I hope that doesn't sound um, aggrandizing because that's not where it's coming from but there's a way in which um, I think many people who are in leadership positions understand that leaders are born out of necessity leaders are born because no other paths mm, fit them right right Right. So it's not really, I mean, we see a lot of examples of, um, can I cuss on this podcast? Of course. Yes. Yeah. Like kind of um, little bitch energy leadership. Mm -hmm. I think we see a lot of that, but true leaders and to me, true leaders are people who are um, always seeking that energy. You know, the, the I think leadership is more of an energy right rather than anything else it's not form it's energy and sometimes the right way to lead is to actually be the servant you know sometimes it's to be the teacher sometimes the, the right way to lead is to be uh, a participant who says nothing right but you can lead from that place so i think um I, i've always been resistant towards being a leader throughout my life throughout my path I don't want to be a leader <laughs> mm -hmm. up until now I'm always kicking and screaming and being like I don't want to create this path for myself or for others because the price that I have to pay for creating and walking that path is too high but going back to your question I remember being a little child and having such a hard time in terms of feeling belonging but before I started to to learn and and be conditioned about my unbelonging, there was always this one memory of um, washing laundry, doing laundry with my grandma. So I grew up in Jakarta, Indonesia, and um, we were at her rooftop and we were just drying the clothes and the sun was um you know shining full on like super bright super hot and there were these dragonflies around us and my grandma played this game with me of tying this um really gentle thread um onto the tails of the dragonflies you know i was that moment i was connected with my lineage because my grandma was there i was connected with nature through the sun 
and through the dragonflies. And I was connected to human creations, you know, and I think my path has been marked by both that really simple, no testing, no proving belonging, and then really, really intense experiences of needing to prove that I belong. I spent all of my schooling years trying to be the best because I came from uh, a lineage of Chinese Indonesians who um, couldn't find safety within the political environment of Indonesia. When I was seven, there was a huge um, uprising. There was a huge riot and um, Chinese Indonesians were targeted. So that was a, a part of my lived experience, you know, of like my people, right? Literally um, were on the go. Like we had to learn how to be on our feet and we had to be nimble enough and figure out how we always have a plan B. So there's this contrast of like belonging and also at the same time, hypervigilance, right? And feeling like we have to make as much money as we can because that's the only way to secure safety. Um, rising up the ranks, creating communities, creating organizations where other Chinese Indonesians can flourish, right? Within the context of countries and cultures that, you know, up until I was maybe 12 or 13, we weren't even allowed to celebrate our Lunar New Year. So that was where I was coming from. And, and I know I haven't really gotten to your, to your um, question, but I would say all of that really kind of um, informed my relationship with my modality because in some ways, in a microwave in my own body, I've always felt that I was different and I can't describe it. When I was seven um, at church, there was this, um, like it was like a puppet show, I would say, um, that kind of reenacted the story of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And I, I was just at the end of that, I could not stop the tears. Mm. My heart was wide open. And guess what, Erin? Nobody else had that reaction. Like I was the only kid at church who was like bawling. Like I couldn't stop. And people were looking at me and they were like, are you okay? I was like, I'm fine, I'm fine. <laughs> but I was just like, I don't know what's going on, you know? And um, then later I, I went on this path of being a musician. And, and being a musician for me was actually a way to practice being with the invisible because music is invisible, right? Being a musician means that you are naturally automatically a frequency artist. So I would say that I, I got a lot of training in my music years, you know, of um, trying to be a classical pianist. And um, that also has its own funny story because I would say that my first attraction towards music was actually voice. Like I've always known that I am a singer, but I was, I remember being in 10th grade and seeing a, a video of myself singing in front, you know, it was kind of projected onto a screen and I was receiving an award. I was on stage 
looking at myself performing and everybody else was also watching that. And I got so terrified. Aaron. I was like, we cannot do this. Like, this is not okay. Like me being up there singing this voice, this is not okay. And I hid behind a piano for so many years. But those years of being hidden behind the piano, even though I think deep down, I always knew, like, I wasn't, I wasn't a classical pianist, you know, like, maybe I was a composer, definitely I'm a singer, not, you know, I, I would, <laughs> looking back now, I'm like laughing, because like, I, I don't think I really had what it, what it takes to become, you know, someone who plays the same repertoire night after night for like 35 years, mm -hmm. you know, from like one concert hall to another with all of my mutability, it was impossible. <laughs> like right. This could not have been. So I would say, you know, to go back to your question, to kind of anchor us back into this idea of modality, I think my modality is practice, actually. Yeah. I know how to practice. And I think in my sessions with folks, in my teaching, what I'm trying to help people do is how to practice. Because I don't think that this is, this was not easy for me. I didn't know how to practice. You know, I didn't know what practice was. So I think at the heart of my modality, yes, nowadays I use astrology. I um, have been learning human design. So I bring that in too. I've been learning the tarot for a number of years. Definitely do a lot of energy work in my, in my work. Um, I bring in um, the Akashic perspective and channeling. Um, I've been learning the I Ching. I've been uh, working pretty deeply with um, one of my teachers in somatics. And so I kind of bring all of this in. They all inform my work. But ultimately, my real modality is, I think, this question of how do we practice? Yeah. How do we practice the skill, right, of tuning into a frequency that we can sense? And how do we work with it as humans living in bodies, right? Because that translation is not to be taken for granted. That translation is not easeful, right? And um, yeah, I'm going to pause there and see if you have any questions or where this is kind of leading. Me. Yeah, no. And I love that as I'm learning, as I'm asking these questions, it is kind of open-ended. I'm using the term modality, but what I'm realizing is the real question is, is how did you find the path that you're on? Because so many of us are multifaceted and it isn't just one thing. Yeah. And, and it's interesting too, because I love that you brought up praxis because a lot of, I think some folks, they need to know that like, or they don't maybe need to know. I would like for them to know that it's a bit of trial and error sometimes like that. Absolutely. My path was one of trial and error. And it was, mm -hmm. and I love the fact too, you brought up um, the mutability of it and that some folks might find the path or their praxis. And it is their praxis for a lifelong mm. journey where others it's going to change. And that's, yeah. that's okay. Like yeah. we don't have to pick, I think too, like what's coming through for me right now is um, thinking about my own experience in relationship to my parents who are, are I'm Gen X, my parents are boomers and they have an approach of like, you pick your job and that's your job and you work mm -hmm. it for the rest of your life. And you, you know, 
and that's that's secure Mm -hmm. that's how you stay safe that's how Mm -hmm. you you know make sure all your needs are met yeah where that's not the case and so i love that you brought up praxis and i love the fact that there's the mutability there as well Mm -hmm. and so how I'm curious if you could describe what your your practice or your daily practice, like how you stay connected to it or how do you know like when it's changing? I clearly like you're deeply sensitive and feeling human being and using likely the instruments of your vessel. But I'm wondering if you I would love to hear you describe what that might be like for folks that are listening. It's changed a lot over the years. When I was um, still a musician or still um, on this path of training myself to become a professional musician, it looked like literally, you know, day in, day out, rain or shine, waking up at a certain time bringing myself in front of the piano, whether I feel like it or not, and then making myself practice for like at least six hours. Like I did that for like a good eight years maybe of my life. Um, Like really refining my ability to play certain pieces, you know, and refining expressions. Um, And then I, I kind of put that aside and I, um, took on a, a day job, right? And I think for a while there, there was some floating <laughs> <laughs> where like my practice kind of was not happening. And then um, towards the end of that, before I found astrology and before, I, I would say actually my path, you know, if if we were to talk about strictly what is more commonly labeled as spiritual, my path actually really began with transcendental meditation. Um, You know, maybe it actually began much earlier in church, but I wasn't conscious about it. Like there was definitely, you know, um, and and earlier on in my life, it also really looked like what it looked like when I was a musician, you know, where my mom was a Sunday school teacher. She made us, you know, read the Bible every day, right? Like that kind of practice, you know, that more maybe rigid practice. And then um, in 2019, I found Transcendental Meditation. And I also started um, taking voice lessons, which was huge for me because I was so scared of singing. I did not want to cultivate my voice, right? So 2019 was a huge year for me because I found Transcendental Meditation. I found the work of Eckhart Tolle. I started taking singing lessons. And then towards the end of that year, I found Julia Cameron's book, which then led me to wanting to find an astrologer, Britain. Britain was mm-hmm. my first astrologer, and she was also my astrology first astrology teacher. And so that kind of put me more on this, um, let's call it like professional astrologer um, path, I think for a while. Um, and, and also I think simultaneously energy work was really um, present for me. So it's this is so cute, Erin, because I've been thinking <laughs> about how my Mercury in Pisces is like cannot answer a question directly. So I'm gonna try to answer this question directly of like what does the practice look like now? I would say the first 
four years of being in, you know, kind of the spiritual world incubator, you know, this chrysalis that I think I, I found myself in learning astrology very seriously from multiple teachers, learning tarot. My, my daily practice really looked like showing up without a fail, mm-hmm. right? Like every morning I wake up, I almost always begin with um, a meditation, which I still do now because I find it really helpful. And then um, I would read charts either for myself or for others, right? Um, I would um, read tarot. I um, cast my I Ching. Like I do all these yeah. things, you know, that kind of look like a regular practice. I think where I'm at currently with my practice is really listening to what my body needs at this moment and then really following through because I think oftentimes I've been thinking a lot about recently how our body's sense of desire and needs have been co-opted by our culture right have been co-opted by our um government you know mm-hmm. the ontology and the philosophy we live within so the process of deconditioning i think was huge in the first 4 years of me deepening into this foray and i'm not saying that that process is not still happening but i think now I am hearing my own needs more clearly. Last year, I was in this Akashic mentorship with uh, Leah Garza. And um, I remember throughout the year, I kept asking Leah. I was, I was telling her, I'm connecting to what I think is the Akashic field. Why does it just sound like me? Like they're saying things that I would say, you know, this is not, okay i'm like it's this needs to be like a circus right like this needs to be like a performance you know it needs to be grandeur like i need to like have this huge revelation and in a way leah kept redirecting me into this question of why why does that not feel okay why does it not feel okay that this um maybe more expanded consciousness why is it not okay that it sounds like you? And I don't know if I have the answer yet to that, but I think I am getting more um, okay with it sounding more like me, you know? And so I think my practice nowadays look like, you know, when I wake up, generally I always begin with meditation and or breath work because I find that that's really um, helpful to just kind of tune my my instrument, right? My My being. And then I usually do something related to singing and to playing music because that is, um, I have a relationship with music that is so intimate and so um, almost like all consuming, I think. There's a way in which, you know, if, okay, I was thinking about this question the other day. If there's one force, that I would die for, what would it be? 
I think it might be music for me. That's incredible. <laughs> like, like I would die for music and, and not the way in which, you know, when we think about music in our culture, we think about like Taylor Swift, you know, get, getting famous, right. Or um, like this really prepackaged, you know, polished, produced music. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is like this, you know, that moment when you're so heartbroken and you're on, you're lying in bed and it's been the third day and nothing could get you out of bed. And then you hear that one song and you are like, okay, let's get up. Mm -hmm. Or that one moment when um, you heard, you know, you're halfway across the world and your mom called you and was like, hey, your grandma just passed away or your grandpa just passed away. That first mu piece of music that you listen to, I'm talking about those moments, right? I'm right. talking about like music as a sacred vehicle of human experiences, human memory, and human existence, you know? Yeah. Um, music as frequency. I'm not talking about music as something that you sell on Bandcamp for $20. Not, right. No shade. Oh right, yeah. For that I I did that. <laughs> but <laughs> but I feel like to me my relationship with music is so dear and so intimate to me. And um and then mysticism is kind of an extension of that because I think mysticism is actually the same thing. Like I don't separate the two. To me, my relationship with music and my relationship to astrology, my relationship to uh, human design, my relationship to tarot or the I Ching or archetypes, they're all connected in my vessel. I'm not saying they have to be connected for other people too. They're just really connected in my vessel as this coherent whole. Um, earlier, Erin, you had mentioned this kind of feast, you know, that mm -hmm. sometimes my offerings can yes. feel like. And to me, that is part of my Jupiterian self, right? Like my Jupiterian orientation has always had to do with like allowing everything to be on the table. Recently, I was also learning that this is the ways of my ancestors. Like I mentioned, I came from a line of people from ancient China, right? And if you look at the ways that um, humans in that region of the world treat their spirituality, it has always been very inclusive. Mm. It's not about, you know, it's interesting because I think when we grafted onto um, the Western framework, then we have all these questions about cultural appropriation and all that stuff. But, but the ontology and the philosophy and the social-cultural context of that particular civilization, was it's not the way it is now because it's not about necessarily profiting from these modalities, but it's about you know, oh, these modalities found their way to us. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a being, right? It's changing the way that we look at the world. So right. let's use it and let's see how um, these modalities are tools and we're also their tools, you know? There's a way in which individuality, as we understand it in the West, just completely collapse and dissolve there because it's about this network, right? Um, so yeah, I think <laughs> to go back to this question, my practice is like listening, you know, yeah. what is this web of life 
wanting me to do today? Mm-hmm. What is this web of life asking me to, um, asking me to explore, asking me to tend to, asking me to heal, asking me to feed, yeah. within the small altar that is my life. Mm-hmm. That's so. That's such a rich response, and it's amazing just to hear you know, we're getting to experience a little bit of like your process of like Mm. the, um, the experience of the way, like you kind of gently hold something and take a look at it. And then it's like, Oh, but what if I just turn it this way or I Mm. turn it upside down and get to just the exploration and the curiosity I think is really present. And that's pretty amazing. So Right now, through this practice, your daily practice, and this this path of being human and carving out what, uh, I'm going to call it the leadership path that doesn't currently exist because it's, it's, you're making it yourself, you know, like for, for you, um, what advice, and I know the word advice is like kind of loaded sometimes. So I say that in the most gentle sense of the word of advice, Mm -hmm. like for someone who is knowing that there's something more out there for them, Mm -hmm. but they're not quite sure where to start or where to begin. Like if you had a piece of advice for them, what, what might it be? I think what's really calling to me is, Hmm. I will say that the path is about the people and it's not. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we can get so focused on the human aspect of it. And I think this is beautiful and I think this is absolutely necessary. You know, um, something that I see a lot in my experience of holding space for different individuals throughout the past few years and also in my own process is how there are many different kinds of teachers out there. Some teachers are human teachers. Some teachers are not. Some teachers have a body or have a form. Some teachers do not. And it's very normal because we are in bodies to want to hold on to the form, to want to hold on to the communities that held us through certain periods of our lives. And I think that's so beautiful, right? And I, the way I approach this is through a lens of reverence. You know, I try to hold that with as much reference, reverence as I can you know, and, and honor and respect, but also we all evolve. And sometimes the path is only created through stepping into, you know, each next step, right? And you can't see what's ahead of you, you know? There's kind of, I'm, I'm going back here to what this being I'm devoted to is calling herself in this moment to me, which is the great mystery right if i'm following the great mystery i cannot hold on to 
parts of myself and parts of others that I have benefited from in the past. You know, and it's a constant process of shedding layers, of releasing, of letting go, while at the same time, I think holding with compassion and grace. And this is where generalizing is a little hard for me because I recognize that compassion and grace is um, feels natural to me. You know, it, it feels good. Like for me to tune into that energy feels satisfying. That's why I do it. It's yeah. selfish. It's totally selfish, Erin. It's not because I'm this enlightened being, you know? <laughs> right. I just, I just don't like to hold on to those things because I feel like I, I see it. I work with it. I let it digest through me, but I don't like to, I don't like to have these feeling as my roommate. Mm-hmm. That's just my preference. I've realized that in walking this path, that has not been healthy for me. And I've cultivated a lifetime of practicing letting go of that. But this is not a spiritual hierarchy, Mm -hmm. right? It's not to say that letting go is people who are naturally oriented towards letting go is better than people who are petty (laughs) because I'm petty too in certain aspects of my life. And I think sometimes not like I've learned so much from teachers whose natural way of being is not releasing. Mm -hmm. I've learned so much from teachers who hold on to things because they know how to be with that gnarly thing for a long period of time. I don't, Erin. That is not my gift. That is not my gift. That is not my path. And also, I am willing to look at it, right? There's a difference between avoidance and and looking at something, feeling it, experiencing it, metabolizing it, and then letting it go. Right. As a a conscious choice, right? The two, to me, are not the same. (laughs) Mm A lot of people will tell you, you know, let go, let go, surrender, surrender as a way of avoiding, as a way of getting out of it, right? That's not what I mean. Right. I want to be very clear. But also at some point for me, it's always about letting go. It's always about letting go. And um, participating in the great experiment of life, right? Because I don't know, like we may be recording this podcast and I can email you in three weeks and and I'm like actually you know what this conversation changed me so much I am releasing my mystical practice I am no longer doing this I want to devote myself to something else I don't know I don't know who I will be in three weeks right and I think that piece around learning to not hold on to identities is something that I can give advice around because Mm -hmm. it's something I've continued to practice. It's the path I'm on. Um, Recently, somebody mentioned to me, I still don't know if this resonates, by the way. So this is just kind of a, um, I'm holding this one lightly, but a mentor uh, told me, um, maybe you're devoted to Shiva. And I was like, no. What? <laughs> and then I did a little bit of research and I was like, ooh. <laughs> the first video I found was this video by Sadhguru, which um I know has 
their own complications, but I found it on YouTube and it was beautiful. And Sadhguru was talking about the difference between um, the, the Buddha path and the Shiva path. And the Shiva path is one of um, continuously falling within a hole that has no bottom to it. It's like a right. bottomless hole. It feels destabilizing, but there's nothing more safe because there's no bottom. Right. Right. The, the Buddha path is one of enlightenment, he said. But the Shiva path is one of constant becoming and unbecoming. Mm -hmm. So I think I can only give advice to people whose path looks like mine. Yeah. You know, I can never talk to people whose path look different than mine, you know, and, and um, I'm, I'm wary of advice. I'm wary of stories because sometimes they take a hold in our imagination, right? And we feel like we need to be like that person because that person seems so cool, you know? Um, <laughs> I'm only saying that because that's part of my process. Like I always listen to thinkers and people that I find fascinating and then I get, uh, entranced right by their presence and their path and the way they're walking that path but i i think there's more than just me i think there are other people who are kind of walking this path of continually falling down a bottomless hole mm -hmm. I, and I if you are you identify with that yeah I, yeah definitely definitely i'm curious to hear more about it actually if yeah, you want to it, share it's it's more like uh, similar to what you're saying, like, um, and I think we we had a conversation not too long ago, and I can't remember how it got started or exactly, but it was like, yeah, I don't I don't know next year, you know, like <laughs> what what it'll look. <laughs> if anything, at this point in my life, it's it's taught me that yeah, mm. that we're in this constant state of, or I'm in a state of of that period mm. of needing to experience something and then releasing it and experiencing something else. And each of those experiences gives me another dimension of my humanness in the world as I experience it. It's like another way of exploring your point of view mm -hmm. and learning about ourselves um, and finding where those, where I bump up against those growth edges. That's like a really interesting sensation. I've come to not, be scared of so much, but be like, oh, that's a that's a new edge. I found a new level of expansion. And that is not always like when we think about the Jupiterian stuff, growth and expansion, sometimes it's uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. Very. And so the the releasing I also relate to uh in terms of learning how to do that. I used to try to hold on to stuff and grip mm -hmm. really hard. And oh I still do, Erin. Yeah, <laughs> I, I grasp onto things like, a, yeah, like like yeah. there's no tomorrow, you know, like as if there's no other path, as if there's no other relationships, as, as if there's no other choice. You yeah. Know? And I think it's part of it, too. I don't think that um, I when I look back, I recognize that I could only learn how to let go. When I have been holding on to things, when I've mm. been grasping to things. Yes. And it's like, it's a lesson that's continually, that you have to continue to learn over and over and over again, because letting go of something is not the same as letting go of another thing, you know? Um, I, I'm thinking about romantic relationships, for example. Like, I, I can, 
think about a few relationships that I held on to for a very long time, you know, but my process of letting go of one relationship is very different than my process of letting go of another relationship. So I think that um, there, there may be a few of us who are walking this path of being directed to or desiring something that looks a certain way in our in our mind right in our intellect but actually the point is more that you are driven right that that desire drives you Mm -hmm. it's not about the destination it's about the drive right the drive then leads you on this path that you don't know where you're going to end up you know but but um can you follow that desire can you follow that internal uh, nudging while holding the outcome lightly yeah that is more a question than an advice like that is a sincere question of like how do you do that you know I, i i'm still learning it and i think one of the things that and i'm curious to hear actually your thoughts about this Aaron. One of the things that's so beautiful about our work as people who hold space for others, people who uh, teach others, is that you are so beautifully, you're in this unique position to be able to see when someone is grasping. Because it's not, you're not grasping, you're not attached, you can see when that person is doing that. And so how do you compassionately, patiently, and um, effectively help people move through those moments, you know? Yeah. To me, there's no... I have, I have various mentors. I have a lot of different mentors. And everybody feels so differently about doing deeper, more intimate, maybe even one-on-one work or like this idea of like actually mentoring, right? But to me, there's nothing more, I can't think of a of a higher privilege. Yeah. You know, that I get to walk next to someone on their path, you know, in whatever capacity. Like sometimes, like for example, even in like our relationship, you know, like um, you've held space for me, I've held space for you. You know, we are colleagues. We're kind of like walking next to one another, right? Um, in in a couple of weeks, I'm getting a reading from you, you know, and I'm <laughs> really right. really excited about that. Um, and and like that that's a moment of me being like, Erin, tell me what you see, you right? Know? And not from a space of, um, I am so powerless, or or I need an all knowing seer to to tell me what's gonna happen with my life next year. But but I want to hear how this common language of astrology is refracted through you mm-hmm. right and and from that perspective i'm learning to listen to myself yeah. and so to me this is what i think this is the path that i'm interested in right now where like how can we play that role for one another mm-hmm. right how and and i and i often get paid to be in that role of holding that space for people. But I also hold it very lightly because I recognize that um, I can only use the tools I have and the sight I have to help people find 
their own path and their own truth, and also um, not hold back mm-hmm. in sharing what I think they should do. Because I think that um, there's a lot of value. I get a lot of value from hearing what other people think I should do. <laughs> yeah, and that, <laughs> and that... I think I constellate people who are like that too. <laughs> yeah, and I think thank you for bringing that up because I think that's that's something that um, I come from a world of being a paid consultant before, before I was an, a consulting astrologer mystic, I was a vice president of strategy. And I, people got, I got paid for my opinion on things and like telling yes. people what they should do. And yes. it was always like how to translate the challenge or, and the solution into actionable steps. And, and again, some of it, goes to the cutting room floor not everything makes it and that's okay but it's like out of the realm of possibility about how to connect with and like work with this spirit or energy or what have you or experience what are some options about how to connect with it and take it forward and that's that's kind of like I think a framework that I came into but I think there's Mm -hmm. this idea of like if you're able to connect and like meet someone where they're at, like you're talking about like where they are on their path and realizing like what a, what a privilege it is to, to witness folks there. And then being able to um, dispense from, from that place versus like, and, and I don't ever experience this from you. And that's kind of where I was kind of curious about like advice. It never comes out like, this is what you need to do, blah, 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 blah. It's always as a possibility. It's, yeah. it's, it's, a, and that's what I love about, about this path is there's no one way to do it, Mm-mm. you know? Yeah. Like one yeah. question I'm curious about um, for you is, do you ever look back and think about like, is there ever a more succinct way like you could have gotten to who you are? <laughs> I've I've considered that for myself and the answer is mm-hmm. no. And it's a weird question. I mean, that I even think about that, but I'm curious, like just in the processing of your experience. Yeah. This is a know? question that plagued me for so many years. Aaron. <laughs> I, I think especially when I was trying and, and I'm really emphasizing the word trying here, right? Like I was right. really trying to be good enough to be a concert pianist. Right. I I went over this question so many times within one day, right? Because I always think, oh, if only my parents had put me through piano lessons with this teacher or that teacher, like I would have learned what I needed to learn. I wouldn't have to work so hard at this moment Mm. in my journey, you know? And I think that feeling is so valid, right? Like that feeling is so valid because there's a part of us that like wanted to, um, wanted to bypass or uh, short circuit or even have this, wisdom lens on the hardships of life right and the winding path i think it's interesting because as i'm feeling into the answer to that question i think the the most honest answer i can give is i don't know 
maybe yeah you know i think there are points in my life where i can clearly see as, at least looking back but sometimes very clearly i felt in that moment too of like oh i was really holding on to this you know like i could have pivoted faster and that would have um saved me a lot of heartbreak yeah but i didn't. i i always wanted to like arrive yeah i was really <laughs> excited to like arrive so i could get started on my life and do my thing and i think that's just because of my way i grew up in a family mm. with um i'm a mutable person as well pisces rising yeah. sag midheaven and and then i have cardinal a lot of cardinal energy mm, and my family is fixed mm. fixed fixed everyone in my family like my immediate family and like i just you know you just pick the thing and you do the thing and do it every day and thumbs up you know yes. and i i'm like okay when when do i find out my thing when do mm. i arrive and then I realized at some point, my path is never to arrive. It's the, yeah. it's the journey. Mm -hmm. And um, mm -hmm. yeah. So I, I was curious about. Yeah. I think. Okay. Uh -huh. Sorry to kind of cut you off there, but something was coming up for yeah, me around tell me. mutability, which is that kind of feels to me like. Mm, being a mutable person or a person who's walking a mutable path, you know, which um, is if you, if, if any of your angles are mutable, you know, or if you're mid heaven, um, I see, you know, are in mutable axis. I would say that um, a person once said, I can't remember who it was. Oh boy. Okay, I, I remember it was actually someone who was in one of my learning containers. Um, her name is Rachel. So if you're listening to this, Rachel, hello. Um, and uh, Rachel said something along the lines of like how astrology is like a Swiss army knife or something like that. Like there's mm -hmm. so many different uses for mm -hmm. it. And I think that the mutable path is um, kind of like a Swiss army knife path. You know, you're learning, Erin, in different um, at different points in your life, how to use this particular knife, how to use this particular knife, you know, and there was a main knife that you were using in your 20s, right? But then you uh, hit your 30s and then you suddenly realize like, I no longer resonate with using that particular knife. Like now I need to use this, um, you know, like wine bottle opener or whatever <laughs> it is, right? Like, <laughs> but I, I do think there's something here about how mutable people who are walking the mutable path are here to learn how to use different medicines, right? It's like, I always liken this to being uh, an herbalist, right? The, the best herbalists have deep, but also varied relationships with different plants, mm -hmm. right? They don't just have one plant that they're in relationship with. They're kind of in relationships with like, this ecosystem of plants and in so doing they are well equipped to let you know which medicine to use at which time right, right? that acuteness to me this is you know as a virgo rising as someone who's you know um say let's say portal opener in this lifetime is mercury I've contextualized my Virgo rising path as becoming more attuned to 
which medicine to administer, in which condition, at which time, at which dosage, you know, or yeah. in which dosage. I don't know what the right proposition there is, mm -hmm. but, um, you know, like, like that idea of um, we need to use the right tools at the right time for the right people, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I do throughout my life envy people who just know yeah like this is my path you know, <laughs> i am a singer i'm done right <laughs> like right. Finito, you know just like shedding layers you know continuing to remove obstacles but that hasn't been my path and i think because my path has been so weird um it's taught me how to see patterns it's taught me how how to see templates um it's taught me how to strategize even if I don't have the specifics. Yeah. Even if I don't know all the details, right? I, I can have this perspective of like, ooh, you know? And, and part of, I think, what's challenging about being a Virgo rising is that oftentimes too, I need to be pretty close to the problem. You know, mm -hmm. like I, I... I'm not the kind of person who's that good at being so far away from the problem and seeing it from like this architect perspective, you know, like this archetype of like this architect who created the blueprint and then hand it off to like the contractors and like move on to the next project. That's never been my path. My path has been like to actually be with, you know, to like walk alongside. And um, it's amazing. And it's also like very challenging. Yeah. <laughs> But like, you get what, to see the problems, you know? Totally, <laughs> exactly. And that's what I was thinking is like, that's probably where if we come back to the idea of the, the banquet, mm -hmm. you know, there is mm -hmm. a lot of recipes that you've learned how to prepare <laughs> through those experiences and the pattern recognition of like, oh, this might be a, this, this person, how this is presenting connects me and reminds me of et cetera, et cetera, this experience of how like this might be a potential not solution, but a way for them to connect to it mm -hmm. or to work with it or to yeah. uh, make meaning of the experience that they're having. Mm -hmm. And in yeah. order to do that, like you have to have gone through a lot of things mm -hmm. yourself mm -hmm. um, or mm -hmm. to have that question. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. That's really yeah. fascinating. So one thing I'm curious about is, uh, and then we'll 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 start to bring us to a close. Is um, what are you presently mm. listening to or reading about that mm. is igniting your passion for for learning for your or for your path on mm. your meander, as we'll call it. First thing that was coming up for me was um, this series of three books. It's actually like a YA novel, and it was recommended to me by Diana Rose Harper. Um, it's called Scythe. It's by mm. um, Neil Shusterman. And it's this kind of dystopian, uh, utopian, dystopian science fiction um, novel about this distant future where death is no longer a thing where 
um, there are no more governments in on earth and um, the cloud has transitioned into a being called the thunder I think it's called the thunder cloud um, and or the th thunderhead yes and um, basically the first novel I, I, I've only read the first one out of the three books but the first one talked about um, scythes who are tasked with taking lives hmm. because the thunderhead right this cloud um, governor or teacher or all-knowing um, entity is constantly calculating that there is um, a steady state number of people right that the earth can still um, wow. withstand or can still uh, accommodate and so these humans these scythes were chosen and then have to do the work of gleaning which is essentially killing people consciously or 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 however their method is but they have to to maintain the quota right in a world that no longer has death as part of the daily reality where some people get to live hundreds of years right without being killed essentially because all diseases have been um essentially eradicated right the the moral responsibility and the continual reminding of what it means to be human is part of that scythe path right because these are the people who are still exercising death you know that's fascinating so i'm just so inspired yeah i'm just so inspired by this novel i think recently i've been reading a lot more fiction because more space has opened up in my life uh, then I, I would say the past seven years, you know, which is so Saturnian, right? Has felt so much about cultivation of like specific skills. But I feel like I'm, I don't know where this is in my chart, actually. Maybe it's in my chart, maybe it's not. But I'm, I'm noticing uh, like an expansion a little bit, but like a, an opening into more of um, derails and interruptions and mm, detours you know and and my favorite um one of my favorite things to do as a child was to read novels so mm -hmm. i've been reading novels and that particular series of novels have been really top of my mind and i think for for anyone listening who are interested in mortality interested in the devotional path interested in working with other human beings and um, in some shape or form learning to honor the seriousness. I don't know, the seriousness, not seriousness of um, being entrusted with stewarding uh, at least a portion of another person's path on this lifetime. Right, that that um, I think it was Alan Watts who said, um, you know, we are only here to walk each other home, right, or something like that. Yeah. Um, like for anyone who who is doing that, whether professionally or um, just kind of devotionally in their own private lives, I really highly recommend this book because it's um, inspired and instigated a lot of questionings for me and reflections and contemplations that I um, actually haven't really heard from a lot of different spiritual teachers. 
yeah. like this this idea basically right Aaron of like we we are here on uh, a limited time frame in this configuration right like I will not be Jonathan for I think any longer than the next maybe 50 or 80 years right like maybe by the time we get to that age you know we can push past like 100 mm-hmm. but I don't believe I'll I'll be around for longer than like 110 years right nor do I want to maybe I don't I don't know <laughs> <laughs> I question this in my head I'm like do I even want to be 130 I don't know but anyways I think um when we are working in kind of um with spiritual modalities or when we're working you know with another being as their you know coach teacher um way shower um reader i think we also need to deeply consider the gravity of what that relationship entails yeah because it's such a sacred path and i think many of us don't have the cultural context for it many of us don't grow up with elders Many of us don't know how to be elders. Many of us have been dropped by our elders yeah. <laughs> or people that we wanted to be elders, right? We have not received the proper care that we were hoping for. We, we withheld information from people who could have been really great mentors to us. I think for, for most people I've met, this path of walking the spiritual life has been marked more by mistakes than by successes. And so to me, we have to kind of uh, get creative here with our education, right? Like how are we going to educate ourselves um, to really deeply know within our being the sanctity of holding this path, of walking this path, right? And what do we need? Because this is not, this is not a game. And I think a lot of us know that intellectually, right? Right. But to really do that in an embodied way is so hard. It is. It's it is so hard. hard. And that's why I love them. Um, this was, well, and that's why I'm doing this this podcast. This was not the answer I was expecting, but it's, it's <laughs> so rich. No, but like, that's exactly the reason is like, there's value there, there's so much value and richness just in our everyday life and where we can get our perspective from and our inspiration from. And so like this, this fact that there's this, this series of novels and I'm like, that's such a fascinating concept because it provokes all of these other types of questions that are larger order, I would call yes. them, you know, for yes. our, for our culture and so thank you for sharing that. And mm-hmm. I would love if you could talk a little bit more or talk, I guess we haven't talked about you and I have talked about it, but we haven't talked about it mm-hmm. in this space um, yeah. about your, what you currently offer and where folks mm-hmm. can find you. Mm-hmm. As of the um, moment of this recording, which is January 17, 2024, um, I would say that Currently, the only offering I have is my one-on-one work. 
um, I work with people um, through single sessions and I also work with people long-term. And um, recently I both um, expanded and simplified my offering. So now, you know, I used to do astrology readings and Akashic readings and now I just do, I just call them sessions, you know, and mm-hmm. if folks have any um, preference in terms of the modality that I use to kind of um, explore with them or explore their inquiries through, um, they can tell me that. But um, otherwise, it's really just a matter of like choosing your adventure. Like, do you want to work with me one off or do you want to work with me um, in a longer term capacity and um i am always dreaming of offerings Aaron. yes of course <laughs> and and also i think for me i'm i'm currently in this point in my journey where i am um i'm experimenting and i'm really feeling into my capacity you know because holding space um especially learning spaces teaching spaces require an enormous amount of energy requires an enormous um maybe not enormous but very high level for me at least to be able to uh steward that in the ways that i want to it it requires a lot of thought and a lot of planning and um currently i'm just like bobbing in the ocean so yeah um yeah those one-on-one offerings are more um kind of where to find me and also i should mention my podcast which is healing the spirit and it's part of my devotional practice because a couple maybe like over a year ago now i decided that i was going to look at the astrology of the week ahead and then feel into what the astrology is wanting to communicate to me and through me and then to i decided to share it with with folks and i've been doing that on a weekly basis for some time now i would say that that's a beautiful introduction to my work and also uh, on the same podcast healing the spirit i have um a variety of rich conversations including with people like aaron (laughs) um that you can find and that you can enjoy and it's completely free um it will remain free for until uh, the pro the project no longer feels in alignment with me yeah. or doesn't feel exciting to my creative juice anymore but that's where i'm at um i am definitely in this moment dreaming um creating an astro inspired experience similar to ice on the edge which you've mentioned last um fall but there's no shape to it yet it's still um it's still an idea that's kind of wanting to talk to me. So um, still downloading. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. That's normal. Mm-hmm. I think for, from what I'm ex- experiencing in, in these conversations is that there's um there, there's some, a lot of marinating going on. Uh, a lot of marinating. Yeah. yeah <laughs> which is, it's like, there's, there's inklings, but uh, there, you know, which is, which is fine. That's what we're, we're here to do. Well, thank you so much, Jonathan, for the richness of your conversation and the beauty in your presence. And um, it's been a pleasure to sit with you today. Thank you for being here.
Thank you, Erin. You have held the space so beautifully. Thank you for letting me unravel a little bit um, and go places with you that um, feel very much like, uh, you know, a, a walk in the forest, like mm -hmm. getting lost a little bit in, in the path in the forest. And there's no one else I'd rather be doing it with than you. So thank you. Thank you for creating this beautiful project. And I can't wait to see where this project takes you and the people who are drawn to this project. Thank Aww. you. Thank you, Jonathan. Mm -hmm. Well, friend, there you have it. You got to experience a little bit of the magic and mystery of Jonathan Coe. And I just love the reverence and devotion that Jonathan has for their path. And I also admire and love how they hold it so gently. And as we heard, that's not necessarily always something that's easy, but the chameleon-like nature is something that I think Jonathan has come to embrace and accept. And it's, it's a part of my path that I'm also learning to love and appreciate as well. And yeah, so make sure to check out the show notes and follow Jonathan on Instagram, subscribe to the Healing the Spirit podcast, and also, yeah, book a session with Jonathan and um, see for yourself. You might even end up working together long term. Well, that's it for now. I am sending you lots and lots of love from all the places in between. Until next time. This has been The Nature of Invisible Things, produced, hosted by Aaron Kelly, artwork by Aaron Kelly, music by Matthew Jai Dev of Audio Soul Healing.